Aloha, this is Pastor Perry, and I want to thank you for joining us online to study the Word of God together. We pray that you will be blessed as the Holy Spirit ministers to you through this message and through God's Word. Good morning, church. Our scripture reading today is from Romans 8.18. That's Romans 8.18. It also can be found at the top of your sermon notes. It says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Jeanette, thank you for doing our reading. Would you pray with me as we prepare our hearts for the Lord's message today? Our loving Father, we just thank you that you care for us and you watch over us and you help us and you guide us. And we're here to learn from you. We thank you that you are a God of truth, that what you tell us is always true and right. And we ask that by your Holy Spirit now that you would illuminate the scripture, that the Holy Spirit would speak through me words that are true and would help us to live our lives in a way that honors you and helps our neighbors and our friends and people around the world to come to know Jesus Christ. Lord, we're mindful of those who are hurting and suffering right now, some in a very great way, and Lord, we lift them up to you. Lord, we ask that you'd minister to them by your Holy Spirit, comfort and peace, but also minister to them physically where needed through us and show us how we can help and be an aid. Lord, may this church continue to be a church that keeps Christ central, that follows your word and spreads the gospel around the world. Thank you how you've blessed this church this past year. We ask your blessing on this year, 2022 as well, that we might follow you well. Lord, now as we come to your word, we ask for the Holy Spirit to speak to us. And it's in Jesus' marvelous name we pray. Amen. Good God. Those two words can be used as an expletive to demonstrate perhaps contempt or surprise over something. But those two words, good God, can also be used as a praise. That you just say, oh, we have a good, good God. And how you use those two words, good God, when you're facing suffering, says a lot about you and says a lot about your view of suffering and says a lot about your view of God in the midst of suffering. Good God. You see, your view of God greatly will determine how you view suffering in your life. Watch how someone handles suffering and how they go through that and the response to that, and you'll have a glimpse of their relationship and understanding of who God is. The two are really inseparable, suffering and your relationship with God. Having lived in a number of other countries throughout my life, and one of them being America, of course, I've observed that Americans suffer badly. And by suffer badly, I don't just mean that we suffer more than other people. I mean that we tend to handle suffering poorly or badly. We spend, it's estimated, $635 billion a year in America to keep from physical pain. And our first response when we have physical pain often is a how question. How can I get rid of it? And I think our first question ought to be a why question. 
Why do I suffer? Why do I have pain? Even why God? Because God will answer when you ask him why. Dr. Paul Brandt was born in 1914 in India to missionary parents. His parents were missionaries in India, and they brought up Dr. Brandt to love God and to love God's creation. And growing up in India, he had opportunity to see a lot of creation that maybe you wouldn't see readily in America and learn about how termites work together and learn things about snakes and, and elephants and things like that. And Dr. Brandt grew up loving the Lord and loving the Lord's creation. But his father died when he was 15 years old. His father died of malaria. Well, Dr. Brandt, as he grew up, he decided he would go to medical school. He studied to become an orthopedic surgeon. And when he graduated from medical school, he returned to India, and the year was 1946. And returning to India, he found that there were about 4 million people in India that had leprosy. At that time, there were about 15 million people worldwide that suffered from leprosy. And Dr. Brandt decided that he would use his specialty to help lepers, that he would treat them and try to correct the deformities of their hands and feet called by lepr caused by leprosy, and he would painstakingly recreate their hands and the tendons and things so that people could use their hands and feet again. And while he was working with these leprosy patients, Dr. Brandt made a startling discovery. In fact, it became a breaking medical discovery. He discovered that leprosy is not a disease of the tissue like people thought. But leprosy is a disease of the nerve endings. And what would happen is people would lose the ability to feel pain. And so they'd wear shoes that were too tight and it would constrict the blood flow in their feet and their toes would, would die. Or if they were walking barefoot, they would injure their toes or their feet in some way and they wouldn't know it. And as a result, they would lose their toes. Same thing would happen with their hands. They couldn't feel pain. They damaged their fingers and would lose them. Dr. Brandt tells the story of one young man who had leprosy, and he would wash his face in the sink, and he didn't realize every day he was washing his face with scalding hot water. And so he blinded himself. Because lepers can't feel pain, they don't blink. Their eyes don't blink. And their eyes dry out, and they go blind. And so... Dr. Brandt, working with these leprosy patients, he said, I thank God for pain. He says, I cannot think of a greater gift that I would give to my leprosy patients than the gift of pain. Dr. Brandt truly saw how pain is a gift from God. And he points out, who would go to the doctor if they didn't have pain? You wouldn't feel your ruptured appendix or your heart attack or your stomach ulcer, or your cancer. Dr. Brandt co-authored a book with Christian writer Philip Yancey, and the title of the book is Pain, the Gift Nobody Wants. <laughs> so let me ask you, do you see your pain, your suffering, as God's gift to you? Today we're continuing in our series called Truth Matters. It's an expositional study in the book of Romans, if you've been following along. And we come today to Romans chapter 8, the last half of the chapter. And it's a painful chapter. Not because it's painful to read or painful to preach, but because the last half of the chapter has to do with pain and suffering. 
We pick it up in verse 18 of Romans chapter 8, and it says this, the Apostle Paul writing, verse 18, For I consider that the sufferings, the pain of this present time, are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Now, this one verse sets the stage for the rest of the chapter. And it's important to understand that, that the subject of the chapter really has to do about pain and suffering. And to understand that will help us better understand what is perhaps the best quoted verse in all of the book of Romans. A verse that is so used, and I would suggest misused and even abused because it's misunderstood, because it's taken out of context. In fact, it's a verse that's so well known that you don't even have to recite the verse. You just say the numerical number of the verse, and people go, uh-huh, uh-huh. You just go, Romans 8.28. And you go, oh, I get it. And people use Romans 8.28 as what they think is some type of soothing balm for your injury, B-A-L-M, when it really turns out to be a bomb, B-O-M-B. <laughs> Sometimes it, it feels like salt in the wound when people say it. If you haven't guessed, Romans 8.28, yes, it's the verse that says, and we know that God causes all things to work together for good, to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. And if you take this verse out of its context, it can be misused. It can be misunderstood. Notice the context when it says all things work together for good. All things is referring to suffering. That's what the chapter is about. It might include other things as well, but it certainly includes suffering and pain. And it says work together for good. Well, as Americans, we tend to define good our way in the verse rather than God's way. We tend to view it as something good, something I'm going to like, that even though this was painful, something joyful and wonderful and pleasurable is going to happen. That's what the verse means to most of us. For example, suppose you are bidding on a house, it's your dream house, and you're sure you're going to get it, and someone outbids you for the house. And your well-meaning Christian friend says, Romans 8, 28. It's going to work for good. Well, what do they mean by that? Well, they usually mean you're going to get a better house at a better price. Or suppose you have a job application in, and it's a dream job, and it's near your home, and good salary, and you don't get it. And your buddy says, Romans 8, 28. It's going to work out for good. And what do they mean by that? Well, they mean you're going to get a better job and with more pay. Or your fiancé dumps you, and your friend says, Romans 8.28, you're going to get a better-looking fiancé and one who's richer. That is not what the verse is about. This all is foolishness at best, and it's heresy at worst. You see, we don't get to define what the word good means. These are God's words. He gets to define what He means by good. When He says all this stuff in your life works together for good, what does God mean? It would be really helpful if He would tell us what He means. If we read the next verse, He does. <laughs> verse 29, for whom He, God, foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. 
Notice it says that God predestined, a word that often is scary to people. It's not as scary if you understand the Greek word proorizo that's used here is actually a word that means predetermined. It means to plan ahead. It was used in secular Greek of a young woman who was planning her wedding. She didn't predestine her wedding. She planned ahead. She made plans for her wedding. And so this is telling us what God's plan is. And his God, God's plan is, did you notice, for you to be conformed to the image of his son. That's his plan. But you have to cooperate. You have a free will. You have to decide if you're going to follow God's plan. But his plan is for you to be like Jesus in Jesus' perfect humanity. And God uses both pain and pleasure in his plan to bring that about. Which brings us to the first thing I'd like to point out on your outline there. They're available by the door. If you didn't get one, you're welcome to jump up and get one. If you're watching online, you can find the outlines on our website under that banner that says Sermon Outlines. Number one, pain and suffering should lead you to Christ. It should lead you to Christ and to being like Christ. That's why God allows it, to get your attention. So you will find Christ and desire to be Christ-like. That's the plan that God has for us. But in the midst of your suffering, sometimes it's hard to think real spiritual thoughts. That you say, good God, and it's an expletive. It's not really a prayer. So we need help, and divine help is available. Right before Romans 8, 28, verses 26 and 27, we're told that God wants to help us while we're in pain and suffering. Romans 8, 26 in the same way, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, also helps our weakness. For we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Prior to this, it tells us that we're groaning, all the creation is groaning, and we're told here, God comes along with us and groans with us. But when the Holy Spirit groans, it's a prayer on your behalf to God the Father. And as if that isn't good enough, we're told in verse 34 that God the Son, Christ Jesus, also intercedes for us. So He's praying for us in verse 34, and we see the Holy Spirit is praying for us to the Father. So we have all three members of the Holy Trinity involved in our suffering, helping us get through it. Sadan, so an Indian man, is a former leprosy patient of Dr. Brandt. And to see him, I'm told that he's skinny and balding and wears these oval glasses and looks a little bit like Mahatma Gandhi. And his feet, if you look at his feet, are rounded stumps. He's missing his toes. And they'll tell you that he met the Brants too late to save his toes. Sadan tells a story, and he tells us that when he was in school as a child, he had leprosy, and so he was shunned, of course, by the other children. As he grew up and went again on a city bus, the bus driver threw him off the bus. When he went for employment, every place he went, he was denied employment. He heard about Dr. Brandt, and he went to visit him, and he went to see Dr. Brandt, and Dr. Brandt had him sit down, and Dr. Brandt gathered up Sudan's bleeding, damaged feet in his hands to examine them. And Sudan said Dr. Brandt was the first person to touch him in years. 
and he became a patient of Dr. Brandt. And he goes on to tell the story of how his life was filled with suffering, including having to watch his own daughter's wedding while sitting in a car at a distance because he didn't want to disturb the other guests. But while he was being interviewed, Sudan said these words. He said, still, I must say that I am now happy that I had this disease. Apart from leprosy, I would have been a normal man with a normal life, chasing wealth and a higher possession, position in society. I would never have known Dr. Paul Brandt and his wife, Dr. Margaret, and I would never have known the God who lives in them. Pain and suffering led him to Christ. And our pain and suffering should lead us to Christ and to being like Christ. Verse 30 goes on to say this, and whom he predestined, as our word again, predetermined, he planned ahead. God made a plan. These he also called. He made a plan and he set out a call. Come to know Jesus Christ as your Savior. And whom he called, he also justified. And if you respond to the call, if you use your free will to accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, then you are justified. You're declared righteous. You're saved. You're born again. But that's just the first step. The second step, which is not actually mentioned in this verse, is what we call sanctification. That's becoming more like Jesus. That's where we need both pleasure and pain to chip away at who we are so we look more like Jesus. And then the third stage, he says, after that, we are also glorified. That's the third and last stage where we truly are Christ-like. And that's the plan. That's the goal. Everyone suffers, but not everyone suffers well. To suffer well, it's helpful to remember a second thing, and that also is on your outline, and that's this. Number two, your suffering is both temporary and purposeful. It's temporary and purposeful. Speaking specifically to Christians, note again what Paul says in Romans 8.18. 818, he says, I consider that the sufferings of this present time, it's just for now, are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. There's something that's going to be revealed to us that is beautiful after we get through the suffering. Our suffering is temporary, but it's also purposeful. My oldest sister, Tally, suffered for over 25 years with a physical Disability, often couldn't get out of bed. Her last few years of life, she had dementia, would cause great fearfulness, and she just went to be with the Lord two and a half weeks ago. She's been glorified. She went through a lot of suffering, but it was temporary, and it was purposeful, and it shaped her into a very godly, loving, kind, wonderful woman. And now she's in glory. Suffering for the Christian is part of this present time. But we have something beautiful to look forward to. When we're in glory, can you imagine every day you're going, how was your day? How was I absolutely fantastic? How was your weekend? Oh, it could, couldn't have been better. How do you feel? I feel absolutely perfect. Well, I am perfect, you know? <laughs> no more pain, no more sorrow, no more tears. 
It's beautiful. And Paul says the same thing in slightly different words in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 17 and 18. 2 Corinthians 4, 17, he says, for momentary light affliction. Now remember, light affliction to Paul includes being whipped 39 times in a row, being beaten with rods, being shipwrecked, being attacked by thieves, starving, imprisoned, and being stoned and left for dead. Left for dead. That's what he calls momentary light affliction. It's producing for us. It's causing something to happen. What? An eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. I don't know how it works, but somehow your suffering down here creates glory points up there. He says in verse 18, while we look not at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen. Focus on glory. For the things which are seen, you're suffering, it's temporal, it's temporary. But the things which are not seen, the glory is forever and ever. It's eternal. Third thing to remember when you suffer that we'll see in Romans 8 is this, number three. God's love for you is demonstrated by Christ's suffering not by yours. God's love for you is demonstrated by Christ's suffering, not by yours. A lot of times when people suffer, they go, well, God doesn't love me anymore. That's not true. Look at verse 32 of Romans 8. Verse 32. He, God the Father, who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? To cry out, God doesn't love me when you're suffering is really bad theology. Of course he loves you. And he already proved it by sending Jesus Christ to die for you to show how much he loves you. God's love for you is demonstrated by Christ's suffering on the cross. It's not measured by your suffering. In verse 35, the Apostle Paul gives us seven examples of suffering that people were going through in the first century. Verse 35, he says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress, persecution or famine, or nakedness or peril, or sword, losing your head to a sword? Does that mean God doesn't love you if any of those things happen? No, it doesn't. Verse 38, for I'm convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. God's love for you was settled on the cross once and for all. No matter how bad things may seem, God's love for you is demonstrated by Christ's suffering, not by your suffering. Now, I think it's really important for us to remember we don't deserve God's love. We don't deserve God's help. We don't deserve God's forgiveness. We don't deserve to share in God's glory forever and ever. We don't deserve to be made Christ-like. We don't deserve any of that. But we often deserve our suffering by the way we live, by the way we treat others, 
by the way we disregard and ignore God's laws and God's morals and God's advice. And yet God shows us mercy and God shows us grace. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. And grace is getting what you don't deserve. And in his great love, God gives us both mercy and grace because he is a good God. So the next time you suffer, or perhaps you're suffering now, you should cry out, good God, as a form of praise. Would you pray with me? I could ask you to bow your heads even if you're watching online. God has a plan for you. The plan ends in glory, perfection. But it begins with you making a decision whether you want Christ in your life as your Savior or not. Christ suffered on the cross and died for your sins. He rose from the grave. He conquered death. And He's offering to you the gift of eternal life. And you have to decide if you want it. With your head bowed, would you look in your heart? Is Jesus there? He comes by invitation and invitation only. Have you asked Jesus to come into your heart and save you? If you believe he died for you and rose again, and you've never asked him in, why not right now? Say, Lord Jesus, I believe. Please save me. And he will. Lord, we thank you for your gifts to us. Help us to be more thankful for the gift of suffering and pain that you use in our lives to draw us closer to you, to help us earn glory points forever. Help us to suffer well so that those around us will ask how we can get through this suffering so well and we can lead them to Jesus Christ. Be glorified, Lord, in our pleasure and in our pain and our suffering. Be exalted, we ask, in Jesus' name.